Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to... Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we have another fall edition of The Deciding Point, our somewhat weekly podcast breaking down everything that's happening in the college tennis world. Of course, the 23-24 season has officially begun. The ITA All-Americans, what I consider the ceremonial start to each season, it's now officially in the books. And if you want to hear a recap of everything that happened at the Division One men's event in Tulsa, I would point all of you to the No Ad, No Problem podcast. I was so fortunate to be able to join our dear friend John J. Parsons on his show to break down all of that action. We talked about the champions, the runner-ups in both singles and doubles, who were the other players and teams that stood out on this show. We plan on performing that same exercise, but of course, by, uh, instead of covering the men, we'll be covering the Division One women's event in Cary. And it just seems fitting that joining me to have that conversation is the man who joined me for the men's equivalent on his show and a man who has joined me s- summer, spring, winter, fall, doesn't matter the season. I know I stuttered through that analogy, but leave it in because he's always here to join us to talk college tennis. He's the returning champion of returning champions on this show, of course, founder of of the No Ad, No Problem blog and podcast. The finest beat reporter we have in college tennis, though we can't drive a go-kart. It's our dear friend, John J. Parsons. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. All Americans in the books. You feeling the college tennis love, my friend? I am, and I got feedback, Ruskin. You make a great guest, so thank you for coming <laughs> on the show. I'm, uh, of course, happy to do the home and home where I feel most comfortable here in this seat as I've been here week in, week out. But yeah, I mean, look, All-Americans, it's in the books. We've gotten our first look at the players and the data and the insights. You can already start to have those conversations about what teams are looking good. Uh, so this is... We're now in the full swing of things. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Let me ask you this. Do you think you have hosted more No Ad, No Problem podcasts or made more appearances on Crack Racket shows? Oh, definitely Crack Racket shows. I agree. Yeah. What I ask is when you hit the point of the No Ad, No Problem podcast where that number tips in its favor, can I just be on that show? Because there will be some beautiful poetry in that moment that I'm looking forward to because, I, again, I had such a blast in the guest role on your show. And 
if you go listen to that episode, you'll hear a monologue or two from my end, something I try to do less of when I'm in the hosting role, particularly when I have such fine analysis uh, coming from our analysts like Jay, like Chris Hallioris, and so many others who are kind enough to join us. That said, Jay gets his turn to rant at me here tonight as, again, we break down everything that happened at the Division One Women's All-American event in Cary. We want to talk through the winners, the runners-up, the semifinalists, and of course the other players, teams that stood out for the right or perhaps wrong reasons throughout the course of the week. Jay, let's get right into it. Let's start with our singles champion, and it's worth noting that both of our champions were first-time winners in program history of this event. It gets back to the new blood versus blue blood discussion we have had so frequently over the past few years here on the women's side, as, of course, Texas A&M's Mary Stoyana taking the singles title, uh, Donna Guzman, Alina Shisherbina of Oklahoma taking the doubles title. I actually want to start with that note first, Jay, because that was a big theme's the wrong word because it wasn't prevailing throughout the week, but that was a big takeaway for me is just two programs who have been sniffing around national titles now for the past half decade, or in Oklahoma's case, I suppose, more particularly these past two years, they get the job done to start the season, and it's an individual national title, but that still counts, doesn't it, Jay? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you think about a lot of these programs, if you're going to break in at the team level, it starts with a lot of your players having success and a lot of teams like you can take Michigan State on the men's side, for example. I think we're in the early stages of them starting to make more of a name on the national stage. What does that start with? It usually starts with a few players breaking through, right? You saw Oklahoma last season breakthrough with Lane Sleeth making the NCAA final. Now you see them, you know, get the winner's trophy on the national stage here in doubles. And same thing with Texas A&M. You'll maybe look at JC Goldsmith in doubles or Tatiana Makarova making deep runs, right? Those are players that you start to see make runs on the national stage at the individual level. That then brings in other players who are excited to make those sorts of runs. So it's no surprise that you see both of these programs that have had so much success. Although I will say, I think of the four winners across men's and women's, the Oklahoma doubles title, absolutely the biggest surprise. I mean, to come from qualifying you rarely ever see that but yeah it's good to see different programs get wins here i love the way you framed it yes programs are the ones that are recorded as national championship winners but it's the players who go out and win the damn thing and to see you're right in particular alina shisherbina transfers over to uh, from Baylor to Oklahoma for her junior season. I can't imagine her and Donna Guzman have played a ton of doubles together and to that for them to fit together so perfectly in the way that they did and seem to just play better and better as the week progressed. You know, again, I, as good as the Corleys have been in the pros and as good as Oklahoma perhaps was in doubles during the 2022 season, doubles was not their forte last year. And to see these two new pieces come together, win this title, you're right, that is the most surprising. But again, in terms of knocking on the door, two national team finals in 2022, the national individual final at 
in singles in 2023. Now you get a title at the All-Americans. It speaks to, again, what has been built in Norman and how success seems to breed more success. And, you know, as we get into the singles title, which is the first individual event I want to talk about, you look for Mary Stoyana. Talk about someone who had been knocking on the door of something like this now for the past couple of seasons. And last year in particular, 38-6 and six in singles overall is the fourth highest win count in program history in a single season. You know, the fact that she was an All-American, not just in singles, but of course in doubles as well. And had Brandstein not get injured, you know, I think they were number one in the country at the time of her injury in doubles. A disappointing early round exit. I believe it was first round of the NCAA tournament last year. But again, I think she quarterfinaled both, excuse me, All-Americans and Fall Nats last year. Follows it up with a stellar season, playing the top spot all year long for the Aggies. Comes out in this women's event, takes the title, does it in impressive fashion. It wasn't a cupcake draw. It was a Dasha Vidmanova who served for the first set twice. It was... You know, again, a Sarah Hamner who had won the title in 2021. And then it was an Alexa Noel who was a previous finalist at this event, had her down a set and a break. And Stoyana finds a way to dig out of it. I mean, talk about a wonderful week for Mary, who, of course, with Mia Kupris, and we started to see that team have success at the start of last season, uh, excuse me, at the end of last season, they make the semifinals in doubles as well. This is an announcement from Mary Stoyana. Hey, in the race for the gal in this new season, put me on the list. And I think we have to. Yeah. And who knows what would have been different in Orlando in May had that match not been played indoors. Texas A&M, uh, well known for not having an indoor facility in 2022. All of their team matches, all two of them were lost indoors. So I'm sure Stoyana wishes that first round of NCAAs was not indoors. But yeah, I mean, this was someone that had such a phenomenal summer, right? You know, making it deep in both 60Ks and 100K level, you know, getting the wild card into the US Open qualifying, having that experience under her belt. We know coming into the season, she was one of the best players in college. And certainly she asserted herself that both in singles and doubles with the deep run. And not only were the opponents difficult, but there were a lot of conditions that were difficult there in Cary, whether it was particularly cool or particularly windy, some rain, like there were just a different uh, additional elements that she had to deal with. But credit to her, she pushed through. I thought she weathered a lot of those windy conditions really well. You know, it wasn't an easy path, nor was it straightforward in, in many of her victories. Uh, she had to fight and uh, she got it done. What impressed me so much was the game style. Just the level of tennis she was capable of playing. Mary Stoyana can do everything, whether it's, and I think this is where she's at her best and this bodes well, I think, for her pro future. The fact that she's so good on her front foot. And if you watch that final against Noel, yes, she was missing the approach shot. It was about 40% were going in. In set number one, the errors piled up. That's why Noel's able to take that lead, able to take that set and a break lead. But even through those errors, you could see the seeds being planted at the game plan. Hey, I'm going into your backhand, and every time you fire up a slice that lofts up, I'm moving forward. I'm knifing it off as a volley. And yeah, you're going to hit some passes, but over the course of time, I am going to wear you down. And guess what, Jay? It worked to a T. And even through those errors, she never let that you know, of impact the game style. She saw the bigger picture and just the maturity to do that is how you become a pro. 
And not only did she show that offense, I thought the defense she played against Vidmanova, what a physical match that was. Yes, straight sets, but I think a two and a half hour, six and five. And the fact that she's clearly fluid as an athlete, she can play slice on the backhand side. She can hit all the spots on serve. The return can be a little bit streaky, but I always see the intent in what she's trying to do. I start to really think about her pro upside because I've said this before. It reminds me of a Carolina Mukhova, that brand of do-everything attacking tennis where you know she's also fluid enough as an athlete to play a little defense as well. I mean, she hits through the two-hander plenty fine. Like It's not like she turns to slice because that op- the two-handed option's not there. Again, why I loved going on your show is, as you pointed out, no one watched more of this event than me. Uh, no one got to experience more Mary Stoyano over the past few days than me. And what was so impressive is, again, in that final, things were going against her, and yet she just stuck to the plan, and it worked. And that's maturity at its finest. Yeah, it takes bravery to do that, right? It's easy to uh, change the plan if things aren't going well and maybe be you know, too soon to do that. Coach Weaver has talked about her movement being the best they've ever had at Texas A&M, which in a team that prides itself on its athleticism is extremely high praise. And I think you saw that in some of her matches, whether it was against Vidmanova uh, or even in, you know, the Noel match to hang in there in some of those points. But yeah, I mean, it was a, a great tournament for Mary Stoyana. She's asserted herself as one of the best players in college tennis. And you already saw that that game style translated to the 60K, to the 100K level on the pro tour. So yeah, I think there's no doubt that she can take this game and bring it to the next level. And now again, you really have to consider Texas A&M if you weren't already in the national championship conversation with a Stanford, with a North Carolina, because they will have this anchor at the top. And yes, they lost Goldsmith. Yes, they lost Brandstein. Yes, they lost Ewing. Um, I believe those were the three from the lineup that are now gone. And, but, and you know, again, you're asking Cooper's to have to step up, a Morales to have to step up. But remember, they have a Nicole Kieran who comes in after a season at number one at Texas, where, by the way, again, she's probably going to be asked to play two because I think Stoyan has earned that right to keep her top spot in the lineup. They bring in a Luciana Perez, who, for those that are unaware, she was the French Open girls singles finalist this past year. You know, obviously, I did mention Smetanikov earlier. You feel like if you're asking her to be at the bottom of the lineup again, she should be able to find success. All these pieces for this Texas A&M team, it feels like every position, no matter whom they're playing, you feel like they will have a shot, Jay. And that is the formula to winning a national championship. Yeah, just the leadership that you imagine Mary Stoyana will bring to that team. There are a lot of new pieces, uh, but I'm excited to see how they factor. And I think a lot of some of those players have taken big strides. I think Mia Coopers is prepared to take that sophomore jump. Uh, so, yeah, definitely a top tier contender is Texas A&M. Yeah, it's just and now even with those new pieces, it's just, hey, as your as their opponents, you're like, well, we got to go up against Mary at one. Like that's always just a nightmare. It's like you never want to start a match down one zero. And Mary, with the success she's had now, last dual match season this fall to start, you feel like they can feel pretty confident that they can go up one zero against just about anyone. But again, Stoyana wins the singles title, semifinalist in doubles as well with Kupras. 
heck of a tournament for the junior who is off playing a pro event. Now this week continues her fall rocking and rolling. Obviously, she comes back from that deficit against an Alexa Noel who reaches a second All-American final. And look, fewer than 10 players in college tennis history can say that that they have accomplished that feat. And for an Alexa Noel who's dealt with so many different injuries over the last 18 months in talking to her, she was you know, pretty open about what it meant to her to be back at this level and be able to put forward these sort of results with consistency now for nine months, what that will do for her confidence moving forward. Tough loss for her to end it, but you know, again, three-set win over Carolina Gomez, uh, Alonzo in the quarterfinals. She gets the three-set win over Ackley, a match she had no business losing the second set in, but comfortably cruises 6-1 in the third through there. And again, it's another final to start her season. Thoughts on the Noel run we saw in Carrie? Well, I'm just hopeful we have a full season of her being healthy. You know, in her freshman debut at Iowa, that was an abbreviated season for the Big Ten. They only had Big Ten matches. She gets injured in the NCAA singles event there. You know, she has a strong start to the 2022 fall. She then is injured for the entire spring season. So uh, knock on wood that we get a fully healthy Alexa Noel for this entire season because when she is um, playing her best, she is one of the best. And we saw that towards the end of last spring season when she was taking out players like Reese Brantmeyer and Chloe Beck and certainly helpful to see her continue that form here. And, you know, both of these players and Mary Stoyana and Alexa Noel have pretty unique games, mm-hmm. right? I don't think it's as you don't see players slice the backhand as often as Alexa Noel does. You certainly don't see many players as vocal or demonstrative as Alexa Noel is. So it, it's fun personalities. It's fun game styles to have at the top of women's tennis. She's perfect for college tennis. I was also impressed. You know, obviously, when you think of her, you think about that fight. You think about that energy she brings match in, match out. She doesn't get enough credit for the serve forehand combination. Like She goes after that ball. And obviously, she's an elite athlete. You see that with the movement. But you also see that with the springiness of, again, that combination. And, you know, sustaining that aggression as a mindset, that probably determines her ceiling as a pro. But, man, the weapons are there. The physicality is there, and I think that desire, which is ultimately what is more important than anything else because you're traveling for 40 weeks and just that grind can wear on you. If the desire wanes at all, that's when you lose it. You have no questions about that with Alexa Noel. And so, again, I look, I've watched a lot of pro tennis. I've watched a lot of the challengers and futures level and so many different things over the years, and that level was there at this All-Americans. That was one of my big takeaway. I thought we thought we certainly saw that from Alexa Noel. What did you think about the South Carolina semifinalist? Hamner, Ackley, each making runs. Now, Ackley was probably the most underrated, excellent player during the dual match season last year. We tried to give her as much props as possible. 15-3 and three at the top spot in SEC play. She was a top 10 player for the majority of the season. Obviously, Sarah Hamner struggled, but it was coming off of injuries and a freshman season where she was an absolute superstar. She's back healthy. She gets impressive victories, you know, again, on her way to the semifinals. Thoughts on this run for the South Carolina duo? Well, I think on the Ackley side of things, I think she's continued her form from last season, uh, which is great to see in her fifth year here in college tennis. I thought she was striking the ball particularly well uh, there in Cary. 
the Sarah Hamner piece of it feels pretty similar to Alexa Noel in that, you know, both players at their best or some of the best in college tennis, both have dealt with injuries. And I felt like you could see how much it meant to both of them to make it back onto this stage. And I think last year, Sarah Hamner really struggled with injuries and, you know, was batting about 500 for a team that she used to play number one on as, as a freshman. And that's tough to go through. And so for her to be back here playing this level of tennis is good to see, uh, you know, the only team there with certainly two two te- two players in the semifinals, two players in the quarterfinals. That's um, uh, quite the one-two punch they have uh, in South Carolina. Does that one-two punch make them a top 16 threat? If you have two players who at their best are top 10 players, and if that's what Hamner's going to be, if that's what Ackley's going to be, one of them's going to have to play the number two position again. I think they went and combined like 24 and 11 overall last season. If they make that 30 and 5 or 29 and 6, where, what does that make a South Carolina ceiling that, yeah, they bring Malkin back, they bring Mills back, but there's a bunch of uncertainty after that. Too much uncertainty, I would yeah. say. And I would, I would wonder, like, where are we? Why are we not finding the pieces here uh, to fill in the blanks? Because you have clearly two excellent players at the top of the lineup. They're also excellent doubles players. And so you feel good about your one, two. You feel good about your one doubles. You just have to find a few other points. Top 16, I think there's too much depth uh, for a lot of these other teams, nine through 16, that would sweep up at four, five, and six. But Matchup wise, if they match up really well with certain teams, could they get a few top 16 wins? Absolutely. Um, but we'll have to see. I mean, I think for Sarah Hamner and Ion Ackley, this is, you know, about their individual success that will happen in May. I'm looking at the live rankings right now of players age 18 or younger. And I'm just like, if you could get one top 500 player to just come give you a semester, January to May. Boy, like now again, you're talking about a real, real lineup. And they only have seven players on the roster. I do think that's a team to just keep an eye on over the next few months. Maybe they that's do add point. another piece because, ugh, I mean, yeah, it, it is a potent one too. Uh, Hamner, by the way, wins over Rejecki and uh, and Jessica Alsola to reach the finals of this event. And that gets me to another theme I'd like to just introduce here before I ask you for your other long list of takeaways from the singles event. That theme is one I brought up when we discussed the men's event. And it just feels like it is a bit of a breakthrough for the next generation of college tennis stars. And I pointed this out on the broadcast. You look at the bottom half of the draw, it was all juniors. It was Stoyana, it was Hamner, it was El Sola, it was Yepafanova. Players who are, you know, by or who will be involved in the post-COVID era, players who came to us and will be forty-year players back in, dare I say, the normal order of things, and players who are now upperclassmen and should be making quarterfinals of this event and should be competing for titles at these sorts of events. And I know, again, top half Alexa Noel is a face we've known for a little bit longer, but I don't know. Maybe it's that you didn't get a Crawley versus. Forbes final or some sort of I I don't know it just felt it felt like we got a breakthrough from a bunch of new faces at this event Jay do you agree or disagree I disagree I mean yes we got a breakthrough in Mary Stoyana winning her first national title of course but like every 
almost all of these names. I mean, two of these semifinalists were two of the finalists in 2021 on Alexa yeah, Noel true. and Sarah Hamner. So I don't know how many new names we're getting. We have Ian Ackley, a fifth year, you know, a lot of these other names. Uh, Al Sola won the backdraw here last year from Cal. The only one that was probably new is of Arkansas, Carolina Gomez Alonzo. Sure. I, a lot of familiar faces. Uh, I think you would need to look elsewhere, kind of the pre-qualifying and qualifying to get some new names. But by and large, I mean, it was pretty chalk, right? When I mean, it was like number two versus number three, we didn't have many like breakthroughs. Well, maybe. I mean, okay. I see your point. You are correct in the sense that these young players, as they were underclassmen, were certainly already in the conversation amongst the top 25 players in the country. But it is so fascinating, I guess, to see so many of them positioned to say, no, I'd like to be the best now. And obviously, there's the new accelerator program with the ITF. Top five players going to be rewarded for finishing in that top five in the rankings. Uh, obviously, again, we know the impact those wild cards can have, particularly for players that, in my opinion, are already demonstrating the pro level. I guess to me it's that they look the part of dominant upperclassmen. They look the part of I'm ready to be best player in the country and that it was those sophomore faces now as juniors, as upperclassmen having success. I guess it was a pretty clean transition to these players now being at the top. I guess that's my broader point. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Fair enough. Well, then with with that said, what else stood out to you? Who was another player program that got your attention? I think there are – I'll go two programs that I think did catch my attention. The first, and I think this was sort of the talk of the town in pre-qualifying qualifying, was Florida. Mm -hmm. Uh, Florida didn't have – a, they didn't have Sarah Dahlstrom, uh, who's a top 20 player for them, and they were uh, missing Alicia Dudney. So they were not with their entire cast of characters, but they had some standout performances in Kavia Lopez, who's a freshman who makes it through pre-qualifying and then withdraws. They have um, Emily de Oliveira, who makes it through pre-qualifying, and then they had Carly Briggs as well. So I think I got a few mentions about, hey, keep an eye on Florida. Florida is going to be pretty good and then i know we talked about them in doubles but there's a lot happening with oklahoma right now i mean just for them to break through in doubles you had so that was one transfer in sherbinina and then you had Flor Arushia, who transferred in from kentucky you know she has some good results uh making it to the back draw uh semifinals i think yeah. uh where she lost to komar there so and Guzman had, I think, good results in singles, let alone the the run in doubles. So Oklahoma is one I think to watch, just given all of these pieces. So those were two teams that stood out to me. Well, let's start with that Oklahoma side of the conversation because as you mentioned, Donna Guzman, Alina Shisherbina, and as we mentioned earlier, do take the doubles title. It's the first in program history. Again, they had been knocking on the door. They finally get a national title at a national event. I mean, again, Shisherbina coming over from Baylor for her and Guzman to click this well, this early. It speaks to those two as teammates. And look, this is a team that loses both Corleys, loses Pisareva, obviously loses Lane Sleeth, who makes that decision to turn pro. Now, there's still a nucleus there, right? They still have a Guzman. They still have a Staker. They still have a Garcia Ruiz. You supplement that with pieces like a Shisherbina. Uh, like a Florencia Arusha, you know, again, 
need someone else to step up, whether it's Siskarova, I believe, their freshman from last season, or someone else that I'm sure I'm blanking on at the roster right now. But yeah, with these results, I think they have to be elevated back into that top 10 conversation as it approaches the preseason rankings, right? There is some depth there. There's some institutional know-how. You know, Donna Guzman, again, I think she lost a tight straight set match to Yepafanova, maybe round of 16, but I know it was to Yepafanova. Um, Vidmanova. Not, uh, did I say Yepafanova? Vidmanova. Thank you. Um, which was a nice rerun of the NCAA round of 16 match. Yeah. They obviously played last May. I knew that part of the equation. I just I mixed up my OVAs. I apologize. Where are you with Oklahoma as we approach at some point getting our preseason rankings together? Uh, I'm jury is out. I want to see more. I want to see them play regionals. I want to see them make fall Nats. I mean, I just it's tough to know the level for that top of the lineup. I think they're going to have an excellent four through six, right? That can compete with almost any teams. But like, can Guzman play one? Is Arushia going to be asked to play one? Like one through three is a huge question mark to me. Uh, and if they don't have the firepower up top, I don't think they're going to get it done at the tippy top of the level uh, with just a really strong four through six. There's you, so many new faces on this team. You don't think Guzman, Shishurbina can go one and one at those top two spots? I certainly Or between those two and Arushia, they can't go what? One and two? Well, are we talking against other top 10 teams? Yeah. Uh, one and two probably doesn't cut it then, right? Well, again, if they're good at doubles, which there seems to be some seeds planted, they might be pretty solid. Um, can they go two and one at four through six? I guess that becomes the question. I don't know. I like well, yeah. Again, it's always finding that pathway to four. I think Guzman can play top two in any lineup. She's just a fighter, finds ways, and has the athleticism, that fluidity. Um, to be competitive in everything she plays. I really like the weapons of Shisher Bean. I need to watch her play more singles, but I like what I see. I think there are the seeds there for them to be fine at that top two spots for me. My questions are actually, does Staker have a bounce back year? Can Garcia Ruiz take another step forward? Like I actually have more questions about the bottom of their lineup, which so that makes that that's fascinating. Makes it an well, interesting top 10 conversation. Maybe. Yes, it does. It yeah. makes for an interesting conversation. Yeah, but again, they take the doubles title. They beat a very solid team in Virginia's Melody Collard, Annabelle Shue in the final. And look, Virginia's another one. Everyone's back from last season. Yes, they lose Julia Adams, who was in the top two of their lineup. Did I mess something up you're making a face at me no it was adams they lost but you know, yeah. Shea, everyone's back but they're number one yeah but you look at the results she had last season adams was not at her best on the singles court and you know again annabelle she was also not healthy for the majority mm-hmm. of the season to get her healthy you feel like she can perhaps again double her win total now you add that with subash ziadado shake her uh chervinsky Collard comes in maybe at six or maybe it's someone else in their lineup because I know they brought in another freshman who I'm blanking on. Another team that belongs on the fringe is certainly of that top 10 conversation, Jay. And it's another big doubles result for Melody Collard, who just has to be in that top five list of best doubles players in the country. Yeah, certainly best hands, right, yeah. um, in, in the women's game right They're now. They're ridiculous. And, it's yeah. like, I, I'm glad you said that because it's laughable how quick her hands are. It, it reminds me of Robert Cash. Like, that was the I comparison was, I was going to make. 
Exactly. It's the same conversation we had on the men's side, certainly uh, her hands. And, you know, what did Julia Adams do last year? Just be steady from the baseline. What's Annabelle Shue going to do? Can be steady from the baseline. So, uh, yeah, one of the best doubles players for sure. That's what I'm saying. If you can put her and Shue at one, Subash and anyone at two, because Natasha Subash can play some dubs. And then, you fi- again, you have pieces to find your way to grind at three. If they're up 1-0 going into singles, the depth for Virginia is just too real in that lineup. And so I think you're just you disagree. Well, I think they're in the same position as they were last season where they have six players that could play pretty much anywhere. And that's probably going to be the same situation this year. Uh, So we'll see. I mean, I think if Annabelle Shue can take a, a sophomore step forward in a way that she wasn't able to as a freshman, given her injuries, we haven't seen Subash you know, she's in her kind of grad year. How well is she playing? Certainly in this like fringe top 10 conversation, no doubt. Yeah, I guess for me, it's not even a leap forward from Shu. It's just stay healthy because when she was healthy, she was very she's good. good. Yeah. yeah, last season. And so if she's healthy, makes that additional contribution. Is there a world where she ends the year at the one spot for Virginia? Some people say maybe. Uh, I think that's something to watch for early in the dual match play. How high in the lineup does she get? But her and Collard were fantastic. Again, ultimately, they reached the finals. You look at the semifinalists in the doubles draw. A shout-out to Zeranova and Abrams. Typical NC State representation in the final rounds of a uh, national event. But not the typical players we would have expected. I mean, these players coming sure. through qualifying, losing, right, to uh, Guzman and Cherbinina, and getting in as a lucky loser, making it to the semifinals just a phenomenal performance from them who we haven't seen in these late stages here. I mean, Sophie Abrams add into her singles results. I mean, she played lights out and carry this weekend. No disrespect to Zeranova, who I thought was good and crossed well and did all the things NC State asks of her. Although you could see there was some coaching going on post-match. I think it was after their quarterfinal victory. There was a couple like, hey, if you're poaching, I need you this angle, not this angle, more vertical, not lateral. Um, Sophie Abrams didn't miss a f***ing return. Like, sorry for dropping an F-bomb. I'm I'm trying to do that less on these shows. But it was just unbelievable, Jay. Like, everything was low, line drive, just absolutely everything you could ask for on a doubles court. She played fabulous tennis. It was no – I thought she was the best individual doubles player. I thought Guzman and Shisherbina were unequivocally the best team. Um, But I thought she was the best individual doubles player. She just did everything you would ask for. Which is not something we're used to seeing from Sophie Abrams well, she necessarily. Was three last year with uh, with Shelley last year, right? Yeah, and you know it they could fine. be a little, yeah, it could be a little hit or miss, but not stereotypical doubles players, right? Yeah. But I mean, she's been playing lights out, and so when she's doing that, it's tough to play against. How'd she do in singles? Well, she uh, she made it through pre qualifying. She made it through qualifying, and she then lost in the first round to Mary Stoyan in three sets. Yeah. Look, uh, yeah, that was the six one one six six one. Yeah, exactly. That was the, yeah, you're, and it comes to I mean, she mind. played lights out yeah. this entire tournament. And it gets to a broader question. Where does NC State go? Because they lose their top two, Smith and Schneider. But look, Rejecki looked pretty good uh, in her opening round win over Savannah Brodus. I know she ultimately got knocked out by Hamner, but you saw what Hamner did at this event. Didn't see a big Renshelly singles result, but... 
I think she did fine in the doubles, if memory serves me. I think she was certainly in the event, if memory serves me correct. Again, there are a lot of names floating in my head. Uh, Abrams, we just mentioned. Hearn Zirinova, successful doubles. Now, again, they're going to work in some young pieces, some new pieces as well. Everyone's going to be asked, hey, step up a slot in the singles lineup. There's certainly another team. I guess who do you feel more confident in, NC State or Virginia? I'll frame it like that, heading into the rest of this fall. Uh, less, or heading this into fall, excuse me, heading into the spring. I would say I would have NC State as a higher preseason ranking than Virginia. Okay, make the case. Well, I, I like their number one. I like them at one. I like them at doubles. Um, even though they haven't shown that doubles prowess yet, I think this fall, I think they're going to work it in, right? You have Rejecki with his umpardo. I think they're going to be a good team. It's very much giving Anna Rogers uh, tease in the uh, Zampardo camp. And uh, they've been there before. I mean, you have all of these players that you're bringing back in Rincelli, in Abrams. I mean, these are NCAA finalists. And um, Virginia, we'll see. Yeah, all right. Fair enough. I just... Again, a lot of new pieces. I have no doubt they're going to fit in seamlessly. There is more continuity in the Virginia team. And again, I do Yeah, wonder, they have four freshmen, NC State does. There's a world where Virginia makes like the quarterfinals of indoors and NC State makes the quarterfinals of outdoors. And that's the difference in how those young pieces slowly start to come together for NC State. And maybe that ceiling is a little bit higher. But again, Zeranova, Abrams, semifinalist doubles. We already talked about Stoyana and Cooper. So now as we slowly move towards the wrap of this show, Jay, I open up the floor to you again. You mentioned Florida. Yes, they had some pieces missing. Uh, and to me, that's the biggest thing. I need to see all their new pieces. I want to see if how their freshmen, now sophomores, step up in another year. It's a team with a lot of depth, uh, a lot of options, and what feels like a fascinating SEC once again. Where are you, uh, excuse me, whom else, program, team, player, whatever it may be, doubles team, I meant when I said team, stood out to you? Oh, so indivi- we're still on the individuals. Yes. Let me give you uh, two freshmen that caught my eye in an event that didn't have an overwhelming amount of freshmen, uh, another theme this year. But the first is Keena Graham of LSU. She has improved a lot over these past few years. She was you know, top 25 in her class, freshman, sophomore year. She has vaulted into being a top 10, but she wasn't in the ITA newcomer list. She wins five matches through pre-qualifying, ultimately before losing to Casey Wooten, made it the farthest of any freshman. Impressed by her game. She's got a really big forehand, both literally and figuratively, but it works. Uh, she just made the Southern Regional Final, so she will be in San Diego for Fall Nationals. If you're looking for freshmen to make runs this year, particularly in an LSU team that has lost Komar, lost Carrington, uh, Keena Graham, I, I, w- I would circle to fill some of those gaps. The other freshman that I thought had a under-the-radar performance was Theodora Rabman of North Carolina. She is one of the top recruits in this uh, class. She made it through pre-qualifying before falling to Vanderbilt's Bridget Stammel, and she got a win over Nicole Kieran, who you mentioned earlier in straight sets, and she also beat U.S. Open girls champion Catherine Huey. Uh, so a really good tournament for Rabman of UNC and just adds to the depth of an already packed UNC roster. 
Yeah, let's have the UNC conversation quickly off of that. Obviously, Crawley gets knocked out by Corey Miller in the round of 16. Brantmeyer knocked out first round what was a really fun three-set match. Uh, she played Angelica Blake of Stanford. I mean, again, they were the top two seeds in doubles, each knocked out in fun quarterfinal matches. But, like, do you care? Like, Does that matter to you? Again, I thought Ram- Rabman looked fine. I think Yarlagata's been fine in the plus one event in the All-Americans thus far, even if she didn't do quite as well as she did last season. Like, I, I, You're not pushing the panic button at all if you're UNC. No, you're not pushing the panic button. And I think where there were like moments of, of bright spots, like Elizabeth Scotty just blitzing Connie Ma of Stanford two and two, you know, there were moments of concern. I would say I would circle two players in particular that I thought did have disappointing tournaments. And that is Reese Brantmeyer and Carson Tangillic. You mentioned Reese Brantmeyer losing in the first round to Angelica Blake. She went one and two. On the event, Carson Tangela lost in the first round of qualifying to Mia Kupris. Those are two players that I, in particular, was looking for improvements this, you know, this fall. Um, hard to put too much stock in the Fiona Crawley loss. Huge credit to Kari Miller for getting that win, but no, you're not, you're not hitting the panic button at all. Yeah. Um, the second point you made there on the freshman class, and again, looking at the top ten. In the preseason newcomers, there are some serious names that will be asked to contribute right away. For Georgia, certainly Vecic, Mert, they're going to be asked to play right away. I don't think we saw Vecic in this event. We did see a little bit of Mert, uh, especially in doubles. I mean, again, she didn't have a standout. The Stanford duo, you and Hui, uh, you know, again, I think Catherine lost, what, first round qualifying, right? Three sets, if memory serves me correct. And so, and then lost to Robin. She went 0-2 in this event. Yeah, which, again, not ideal, but I'm not hitting the panic button because I think those freshmen at the start of the year at least will be asked to play probably no higher than five or six. Um, And if they're playing higher than that, it means their level's picked up. You know, again, players like Ray, Perry, Charney, Lopez, Perez, we'll have plenty of time to see them throughout the rest of the year. I'd say reserve judgment on this freshman class coming off of this one week because there is a lot of talent there Can I give you one more team that's just on my mind coming off of this event? Because for me, I look at Auburn and to see Celine Ovunk make a quarterfinal with DJ Bennett in doubles, just signifying, hey, she's healthy and working her way back. You know, again, you look at that team to add Ovunk back to a lineup that I think brings back everyone. Ansari, Arsenault, Flack, Bennett, Okatoye, Carnicella, they're all back. And they all were pretty solid at various points throughout the course of last season. You had a Selena Ovunk who was playing number one for the Tigers the year prior to that. Like, she will be back in the mix. I know there's some freshmen who came in as well. They got options at Auburn. And that's a team that, again, as experienced, has been through those four, three ringers as much as anyone in the country. Yeah, I feel like we've been on the Auburn train for a little yeah. bit now, of like circling them. And I think, uh, Selena Ovunk didn't have her best tournament here. I thought she actually looked better in the NC State event the week prior. But just to even have her back here in doubles, making a deep run, I mean, they have a lot of options, right? That top four is going to be littered with All-Americans. And who's going to play five and six? They've got plenty of options there. So, yeah, Auburn certainly, I would, I would say they're not flirting with a top 10 ranking. It's just about how high you have them. 
Yeah. And again, right now I think I have a list of 17 teams I'm considering for my top 10. I'm trying to whittle it down. And then you see a USC announcement of a couple of new freshmen coming in who are highly touted as well. And now you're like, okay, let me make a recalculation there and go look at their lineup. How's that going to work in? Speaking of teams, any other teams stand out good, bad reasons for you as we wrap this ITA All-American recap show? No, I mentioned my teams. The lack of UCLA, USC, Pepperdine talk, that didn't stand out to you? I feel like we got nothing really from the West Coast. Like we had moments from Blake and Blake and Blokina as a doubles team, but like we did not get a lot of West Coast love at this All-American. I mean, some of them didn't even show up last year. Stanford didn't even show up last year. So, I mean, them even showing up was a a change. Pepperdine, I don't think, showed up last year. So, no. I mean, look, if you have the NCAA singles champion in Fung Grantian, she's not playing this event. Of course, you're not going to get a lot of UCLA. They've only got like six players on the roster right now. They did have their freshman, Amani Guchard, you know, play this event. But, I mean, some of these West Coast schools have made the decision to not really travel to carry. Uh, so, no, I mean, Pepperdine needs a more full roster. I thought Anna Campagna looked very good. She has made strides from her first season at Pepperdine last year. Um, you know, and we know what we're going to get with Savannah Brodus. Yeah, and she bounced back, I thought, pretty strong uh, in the consolation. Again, Ansari, I think, beat Brodus in that consolation as well, and yeah. Any other names that come to mind or you've, have you given all the takes, Jay? <laughs> so the, I guess the final name would be Maya Rundorn of okay. Georgia, who, you know, made it through pre-qualifying, sure. made it through qualifying. This is a player who in May did not crack Georgia's singles lineup, but um, making good inroads there. She's the last name I have on my list of names. We've talked about everyone else. I like to hear that. Yeah, look. For a Georgia team that's going to have to work in some new pieces here this year, certainly they have those pieces to be worked in, and it will be fascinating to see who sorts where in the lineup because Narundorn loses a tight three-set match to Kari Miller, I believe, in her opening round match in the main draw. But, like, okay, Miller beat Crawley in this event. And, they're, you know, again, for Georgia, it's not if they're top 10. It's where they fall in the top 10, given, to me, some of the uncertainty surrounding their lineup. But... I know the talent is there. I just need to see how it's all going to come together. They're a clear favorite right now in the SEC. I mean, I guess A&M, right? But there are a lot of top 16 quality teams, A&M, Florida, Auburn, Georgia. I wouldn't even have A&M as the favorite. Really? Yeah. Who's your favorite, Georgia? I mean, you're talking about an A&M team that lost three of their top six and a Georgia sure. team that lost one Yeah. in Kowalski. Sure. Who they've replaced. And Ma. Oh, they lost Leah Ma, yeah. but they've replaced with Vekic and Mert and Rising Tide from Gigi and Narundorn. And yeah, I would have Georgia as the favorite right now. Vanderbilt, it's like tough to bet on just given how burned we were last season. But they have some really great freshmen. They have Kayla Cross coming in the spring, uh, you know, top international junior from Canada. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Auburn as well, we talked about. I don't know if there's necessarily a clear-cut favorite right now, but if I had to choose, I would go Georgia. Florida's really good, too. Like, again, both the SEC races are fascinating. It We've we've talked about the SEC struggling on the women's side for a few years, particularly relative to the ACC. They are back this year. Yeah. And in a year where the men might be a little bit down, 
relative to the rest of the competition, the SEC women are absolutely back. You're right. It is that paradigm shift slightly back in the favor of the SEC this year because the depth is there. Absolutely. And again, we look forward to seeing that depth play out, not only in the dual match season, but through the rest of the fall. And look, we got regionals coming up over the next month. We'll have fall nets, of course, on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. First week of November. Looking forward to that, of course. But more than anything, it's just great to have college tennis back in our lives. And again, I had I offered this on your show. I offered this on the broadcast. I want to offer it here. A massive thank you to the entire ITA team. Joe Gentry, Zach Pullman, Josh, whose last name I'm blanking on right now. I apologize in particular who did such a great job coordinating with Westoff and myself to try and facilitate all things regarding the broadcast. Cody Johnson, of course, as well, uh, would be remiss if I didn't give him a shout out. We appreciate their support of us. And of course, we always enjoy the opportunity to shine a spotlight on these athletes. So a thank you to all of you who tuned in. A thank you to all of you who listened as well. Jay, any final thoughts before we wrap the show? Any things you need to plug? No, I mean, you could hear the men's version of this on the No Ad No Problem podcast. Uh, but no, I'm excited. I mean, it's we've got fall tennis and yeah, we got our preseason rankings coming up soon. So we got a lot to do. I'm nervous about the preseason rankings. I like looking at all these teams still. And, you know, again, I was feeling really I was ready to make a really pro Oklahoma State argument. By the way, we should have given a shout out to Constellation mm-hmm. winner Anastasia yep. Komar before we wrap the show uh Cayetano Charney winning the doubles title. I had no idea and Cayetano had another year of eligibility left. And again, like now I got to give USC some more thoughts as we look at our preseason top 10. All these things to do. We look forward to doing them. Of course, it's always a pleasure to have Jay on the show. It's always a pleasure, of course, to get to work with our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, who makes everything you hear possible and has a f- of an editing job to do day in, day out, making all of the content you hear from our Crack Rackets platforms. A thank you to him. A thank you to all of you listeners as well. With that said, for the fantastic John J. Parsons, our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, our friends uh, at 10 point from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we say? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.